Last week, we looked at what the resurrection means. We looked at it from the initial verses of First Peter, and now we're moving through uh, the rest of First Peter. And today, of course, looking at verses 8 through 15. Uh, and 8 through 15, build on what we heard before. We heard that Jesus Christ has opened up an inheritance for us that will never spoil, fade, or perish. This inheritance is set aside in heaven for us and is guarded for us. There is um, assurance that we will participate in that inheritance. So what does that mean? There's a, a wonderful therefore in this passage in verse 13, because of all these amazing things, therefore our lives should be different. Everything is reoriented because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. A radical change should happen. A radical change has happened in the cosmos as Jesus Christ won the victory over sin and over death and opened the door for the creation to be reformed, recreated into the perfect creation that God desires that it be. So this means radical change, and it should mean radical change for the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, radical, the word, comes from the Greek word radix, which means root. So the radicals are the ones who are rooted, rooted in the truth of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And we don't like to think of Presbyterians being radical very often, but if we are going to follow after the call of God, we will be rooted deeply into what Jesus Christ has done, and that will make us different, different from the world around us. The scripture says we are to be in the world and not of the world. In other words, it does us no good to separate ourselves off and have our own little groups that have no interaction with the world around us sitting in judgment of the world around us, but it also does us no good to fully capitulate to all the worldly standards and think that we're going to have any witness to the world because we are no different from the world if we do that. But we are called to be different. First, we are called to think differently. Verse 13 is uh, paints a beautiful picture in the Greek that we lose in the English, but the 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 Greek says, gird up the loins of your mind. And you can only understand that if you understand the clothing that was worn uh, at that time. Everyone wore tunics, tunics covered uh, and, and were very hard to run in. So if you needed to run, if you needed to be active, you would take the tunic and tuck it in to your girdle or whatever uh, the undergarment was. And then as one pastor put it, you turn your tunic into track shorts and then you're able to do what you need to do. In other words, here, Peter is saying, make your mind ready for action. Think, think, according to the new reality that is made available in Jesus Christ. Be alert, be ready. And Peter also says, fully sober or sober-minded. Set your hope. Set your hope. In other words, make the whole focus of your life, your rootedness, the hope 
And the hope is on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That hope radicalizes our lives. It changes everything. If we continue to be focused on the things of this world, we are missing all that God has done. Life without God is short-sighted. It only goes as far as this life goes. But a holy life has enduring hope, hope that takes us beyond the limitations of this world, beyond the limitations of this life. Life without God is imitative. In other words, life without God is it fits in with the world. Now, maybe you're in one group or another group and you fit the standards of whatever group you happen to be in. But you're imitating the people in that group. You say, well, I'm Italian and this is how Italians live. This is how Italians work. You say, well, I'm a Democrat and this is how Democrats think. Or you're a Republican and this is how Republicans think. You say, well, I... My family, my family is a certain way and that's the way we live. And those things are mostly okay, probably. But the point is that Christian life is examined. All of those things we assume we have to, uh, that we're supposed to be like, we have to examine them against what the scriptures say. And a life that is reordered, radicalized around the truth of Jesus Christ is a life that is examined. We think about, is this according to God's eternal purposes, God's eternal promises? And if my life fits that, then that's great. If it doesn't, we have to think and we have to change. Now, I have to say there are elements of the Christian subculture that are imitative, not biblical. So even what we think our Christian worldview is, we need to take that back to the scriptures together if we can, and together work out what the scripture is saying, and therefore what we are called to be and what we are called to do and how we are called to think. Our thinking has to be deliberate if we are going to focus our minds and our hearts and our lives around what Jesus Christ has done. The second thing is we have to desire differently. It says here uh, in, in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, I don't like to criticize biblical translation because I really don't want you to doubt your ability to read and understand what the scripture says. But here's one that I'm not really thrilled with how um, that comes through. The, the word epithumia is the word for desire here, and it is really an over-desire or a misdirected desire, not necessarily always an evil desire. But what it is, according to this passage, is an ignorant desire. It is a desire that is for something that will not accomplish what it promises to give you. It is a desire that does not ultimately give 
what it promises to give you. In other words, it is, it is a desire that does not direct you to having your heart's desires fulfilled by the Lord our God. It means looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. And it's important to remember, finite things cannot eternally satisfy. So any of the finite things we find that we try to make our desire, the, the goal of our lives, they're not really going to do it. Uh, you know, if you think about anything that you put your hope into, your desire into for, for this life, um, it's going to either promise a lot and not deliver, or you get something and you think, well, this is good, but there's always fear, guilt, and anxiety that go along with it. And anxiety comes when you look to the future and you wonder, will I still have this? I'm pinning all my hope on this. Will I still have it 10 years from now, 10 days from now? You look back and you, you regret things that you have done or things that, um, things that other people have done that keep you from having what you thought was what you need. So there's guilt or frustration. The wonderful thing about the promises of God, about the completed work of Jesus Christ, is that it's completed. It's done. It's guaranteed. There is no way that what Jesus Christ has done for you will be taken away. There is no way that you can't, you haven't done enough to earn it because he earned it. So there is no guilt. There is no fear in trusting the promises of Jesus Christ. It says here, do not conform to these desires. It's reminiscent of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Here, do not conform to your desires. In other words, do not let yourself be made into something you're not created to be. For you were created to be in fellowship with God. And it is only when you are in fellowship with God that you are free, free to be who you were created to be. Don't let your desires or the world force you into a mold that doesn't fit. And remember, this mold, this molding, this conforming happens without any effort. Your desires will direct you if you don't make them not direct you. Your desires, I mean, the world will direct you if you don't choose to not let it direct you. So it's a choice to desire differently, to set your heart on the things of God and let your mind serve your heart, not the other way around. So much of the world around us tells us that your desires should be the direction, the, the way you know what's right, the way you know what you should do. The Bible says no. Redirect your desires toward the truth. Do not let your desires rule your heart. Finally, we think differently, desire differently and live differently. Verse 
16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, being holy isn't an attractive thought for many of us. We think, well, those holier-than-thou people, that's not what I want to be. I want to be someone who uh, has a faith that, that encourages other people, doesn't make them feel inferior to me. And, and I would say, you're, you're right. To be holy, though, in Scripture does not mean to be holier-than-thou. In fact, the word holy means set apart. In the Old Testament, when they would set apart things for use in the temple, they were set apart so that they were only used for the temple. I think of when I prepare the sermons, I go through and read a lot of, a lot of information and I underline some of it. And I say, sometimes use this in the margin because I want to set those words apart to make sure that they are used in the sermon. If you are holy, you are set apart for the work of God, for the kingdom of God. So when Peter says, be holy, quoting many times that the same phrase is used in scripture, be holy because I, God is holy, he is saying, you know that you don't fit this world anymore. So reorient yourself, set yourself apart for God's use. Your focus, your purpose, and your identity are different because God has claimed you. Now, we live differently because Jesus is who Jesus is. Jesus said in John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. He is the one who has conquered sin and death. He is the one who has achieved for us eternal life. He is the one who is opening the kingdom of God to us and recreating all of creation so that it fits the plans and purposes of God. He is the one to whom we owe our allegiance. He is the one to whom we owe our lives. But we also live differently, not just because he is who he is, but because we are who we are. This living differently is an identity issue. We obey as children, it says here. Now, you don't, as a child, choose to be born. You don't, as a child, choose to be adopted. The parents choose you. God has chosen you to be one of his own. And so therefore, you are. You are. You are not being obedient enough to earn God's favor. You are being obedient. You are being holy because you are God's child, because you have God's favor, because you know the promises of God. We obey as children, trusting children who know that their parents love them and want the best for them. We obey as children who know that God wants the best for us. Obedience then flows out of who we are. Thinking differently, desiring differently, and living differently. We witness to the world what God's kingdom is about. Now, our motivations are different. 
they are anchored in the promises of God. Now, some people would have different motivations. One person asked C.S. Lewis, what religion would make people the most happy? Believing that happiness, of course, is the best goal of life. So this person wanted to know what religion is going to make them happy. And C.S. Lewis says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of pork could accomplish that. If you want religion to make a religion to make you really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. And yet, C.S. Lewis is a devoted, was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis was a devoted Christian. C.S. Lewis did a lot for the kingdom of God. Not because it would make him happy here and now, but because he knows who Jesus Christ is as the conqueror of sin and death. He knows who Jesus Christ is as the king of all creation. And he knows that the king of all creation will make all things right. And why would one not want to be aligned with that kingdom? Why would one not, having been claimed by God as a child, as beloved, not want to follow after him, thinking differently than the world, desiring differently than the world, and living differently from the world, all within the world, shining the light of God's eternal promises into the world around us?